Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John McDon. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Asa for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now on to the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Um, we're recording a special, uh, I guess, New Year's episode. We're rec- actually recording this just before Christmas. It's 21st of December, 2022. And I believe we're going to release this the first week of January, John. Is that right? That's right. January 7th. So happy New Year's to everybody. 2023. Yeah. Positive thoughts. That's, you know, I think the power of positive thoughts and just appreciating what we have in the moment. Those are things we can celebrate and look forward to a, a very exciting year ahead. I agree completely. I think, um, you know, it's interesting. We were, before we started recording, we were just talking about how, you know, you're back in your home country now uh, where you, and, um, you know, how, you know, you, now you appreciate, you appreciate it a lot more because of, you know, you've lived in so many different places, I guess. Yeah, I think so. There's something when you come back to your roots or your home where you've had your childhood and you have family and stuff, there's some new connections. And I think, you know, hindsight and, having traveled and been away for 38 years, uh, you come back, you know, richer, but you also appreciate the little things that maybe you forgot. And I'm not sure that's for everybody, but I was just alluding to this movie I just saw called The Man That Wanted to See Everything. And he cycled for 51 years around the world. And he just stopped a couple years ago and his hometown found him a place to live and they kind of are hosting him. And he's connecting again and that was it was just poignant to see somebody that had been away such a long time coming to their home in germany and making connections with their elementary school friends it's funny you know if you add up all the trips we've done this year it's kind of i kind of had a crazy year which i'm sure we'll talk about a bit later i mean i've i've been out of the Czech. i mean i live i live in czech republic i've been out of the country almost set, almost actually almost eight months so the almost eight months this year What's amazing, Dan, too, and I think people don't understand the context, is you do this with your whole family. You have two lovely little children uh, that are under five, and of course, your wife, Patricia, and you guys do this as a family, and you navigate working, family life, and I just really have found it so interesting the way you juggle that and you put them in a local school in Thailand, you really (laughs) embrace the local... uh, local education system so yep. just yeah how is that because most people would go off on their own and maybe leave their kids back why did you decide to do this as a family yeah well it's interesting and well I'll, afterwards i'll come on to what what we're going to do next year is a bit different i think it's a but you know the, the background is so i i i run apps events and we're a google partner work with with international schools as you would know john you were the first person i ever worked with so i've got a lot to yeah, thank you for you a lot of history yeah yeah exactly yeah definitely a lot to thank you for and um so we it's always been international since day one and i did i deliberately did that you know like i when because I, I figured out what do i want to do like you know once i got into education i thought yeah i, I like working with schools i don't want to i want to stay in the education world um and I, th- I like traveling. You know, I love I love working in different countries. So I, I deliberately, it's always been international. I've always traveled. So before I met my wife, like when I first met you, I, I was still single, and I was just on a plane. If you remember, I was always on a plane. I was like, I was going to travel. I was going to South America. I was going to America. Like just you know everywhere. You know, literally. I mean, you know, we ran the 
the event together in, in Prague, and then somebody came to that event from Bangkok. Wayne, if you remember Wayne, then he said, "Let's do one in Bangkok." So that's right. I was I was straight off to Bangkok afterwards. But um, obviously, when I met my wife, and then um, you know, when we met, she had a job, and then she's been on maternity leave because you know for a few years having it with, with the two children. And so then, you know, we thought, why don't we just do a couple of trips together? And um, and I think that got accelerated because of COVID. You know, COVID, I was stuck here all the time. I got really sick of it. And and you know, I mean, I I, I, don't, I wouldn't say I, I got depressed because I wouldn't. I don't want to belittle anyone who really has depression. But I got a bit miserable, you know, in the in the COVID times. You know, and I think, I, and honestly, I blame myself for that. I look back on it now, and I didn't have to. That was my mindset. You know, I could have just ignored the news and ignored it and just got on with things you know but i did so i was really keen to get away and so i think since covid we've just gone we've gone crazy with the traveling <laughs> there's so much travel but i think what you're saying dan about covid everybody you know there are people that you thought would find it really challenging and didn't and other people that were resilient that suddenly that curveball just threw them off i just think it's really hard to say there is a pattern everybody's so unique and i think we know that the pandemic impacted everybody in some way, positively, negatively, or neutrally, but nobody walked out of this experience without some reflection and change. And I think, you know, what was exciting as we were doing the podcast, and we've been doing this now for almost a year, yeah. is just, you know, touching base with you. You know, you're in Bahrain, you're in Bangkok, you went to Cambodia, just having those, you know, moments where we connect and then just seeing how you're engaging with that. What, yeah. what what for your kids, what do you think has been, what are they aware? They're young, but are yeah. they aware of it? Do they talk about it or do you have yeah. some structures? They do. I mean, they, um, you know, Jonathan's like, you know, he, he doesn't really have a con the concept. He's, he's almost five, you know, but he, he talks about everything as a house, even if it's an apartment. So when we're away, because we, we were staying in these apartment buildings, normally big, so we always called them we're in the big house, you know, and he would always refer to the place we live here as a small house, you know. So it was, it was always, you know, he would, he, you know, it was interesting. They, they, they remember it. They, you know, they love going on the airplanes. Um, you know, we, we, we went, you know, we were so, just to give some context, we went to Bahrain for three months and then we did a bit of stuff in the Middle East. And then just now we've just got back from Asia. We were in Thailand, uh, Cambodia, um, Singapore, and South Korea. So, you know, which was, it was really interesting, you know, I think they, they definitely got a lot out of it, you know, I think it was hard for my wife, um, because, you know, in, like you mentioned, in Thailand, we got them into a, into a preschool, the other countries, we couldn't do that. So she was kind of looking after them a lot. I was working, you know, I, I was actually really busy the whole time, you know, meeting schools and things. But, um, you know, she loved it, but it was exhausting, more exhausting for her, I would say, you know, having, yeah. having the kids around all the time and in a new place, everywhere we went, she has to, where's the supermarket? you know, like, where's, you know, basic things like that, you know? Well, just navigating that and then also not having your social circle around you, you know, it, it's it's much harder to meet people if you're kind of a digital nomad. And I'm gonna, yeah. I, that's just the label I've put. But uh, no, it, it is. I mean, that, that's, that's a, it's, it's a real thing being a digital nomad. You know, it wasn't a thing. I mean, have you read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss? I don't know if you've read that. I book. have not, but the digital nomad I'm familiar that has become very popular. Yeah. You hear a lot about it. You know, I would say most digital nodev, nomads, excuse me, are not in our age bracket. You know, no, I definitely know. And are they're not traveling young. with two kids. <laughs> well, you say, yeah, you're right, the majority, but I know people my age um, who are fully nomadic who have kids. You know, I I'm in this entrepreneurs group. Uh -huh. uh, and a lot of people in there are kind of semi-nomadic or nomadic. So, and I even know parents who are kids of school age and they're just traveling. 
you know, they'll spend a few months in one place. They'll either homeschool or get the kids into a different school or do online schooling, increasingly online school. Interesting. Um, I, I definitely don't want that. I mean, in, in terms of what we're thinking of for next year, we were thinking of a Middle East. We've actually decided we're going to stay here for a year or two. My Patricia was the same. My wife was like, let's just not have any trouble for a while. It was, <laughs> she, she loved it. She really loved it. But it was just now it's, um, you know, it's actually quite nice to be back in Prague. And Prague is actually my home, which is kind of weird, you know, you, you know, probably more than England is at this point. You know, I've been here for oh, like 16 years. You've been there now for, am I thinking, almost 20 years? Yeah, actually, it's, let me think about this. Uh, 2004, so uh, 18 years. And I also lived here for you in 99. So if you count all the time I've spent here, it's longer than I spent where I grew up in, in Yorkshire, you know, because I left there when I was 18. Yeah, amazing. And yeah, uh, yeah that's that's incredible. And it's funny how you can make a home in another country where you have a lot of shared experiences, you have a social network, you have a professional yeah. network. That's just, you know, and you speak Czech, which I think yeah. is one of the critical components of really being successful and living in the Czech Republic. You have to learn the language, I think, personally. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm like a lot of people who work for international schools. I, I do want to live in other countries. You know, I, I really I really like it here. I never intended to stay this long. I mean, you, you were in Prague. How long were you here? You were here for quite a while, weren't Nine you? years. Nine years, yeah. Which, that's a long time by international school standards. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there's definitely, you know, sometimes I do miss certain things. I like to have a beach, you know, uh, but, you know, there are a lot. Like like you said, I'm established here. I've got a lot of friends, and I think that counts for a lot. You know, you, I've yeah. got a real social circle. I think that's really important. And then also you have your professional circle. So, Dan, tell us a bit about when you were in Asia. It was kind of the first time that Apps Events was running some live events. You were very yeah. active in different, you know, different spaces. What were the, some things that you noticed when you were running the live events? And you attended Urkos. You went to Cambodia with yeah. the British government for an education kind of tour. I'm just curious, what, what was the general feeling now that everybody can see each other? It was interesting because, you know, in Asia, the um, everyone is really very strict on the COVID rules. You know, even, even they, they go over, completely different to Europe. They go over and above the rules. So even though you don't need to wear a mask outside, everybody wears a mask outside in Thailand. Every, in South Korea, it's like off the hook. Everyone wears a mask everywhere at all times. You don't even have to, you know. So, you know, when we got together, you know, we were like, you know, whatever, you know, we were like, we run a, for example, we run a big meetup in Bangkok at a British club. It was really cool. We had, we had people from schools all around Asia and, and everyone was like, oh, wow, you can take your mask off. And like, everyone almost felt like they were doing something, you know, like dodgy, but it, everyone loved it, you know, like we were just, you know, and, and the same in, um, we ran our event in South Korea. Everyone was saying that's the first time they've kind of taken their mask off. You know, which, wow. so I actually, it was kind of, people felt a bit like, you know, this was the first time it actually normally been face to face, you know? So it, it, it was interesting, you know, that, that, that was definitely an observation. I mean, I, I found it hard in Asia with the mask wearing. I, 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 you know, I did it during COVID like everyone. And then I've just been out of it for so long, that I just, I really found it hard. And I think our events were a bit of a breath of fresh air for people being able to not, not wear the mask, you know? Yeah, and I just remember I've lived in Japan a couple times, uh, you know, in the office that I worked in, we definitely used masks in the winter for the cold and, and the flu yeah. season, and you saw that. So I think culturally, there is a, a greater sensitivity and awareness yeah. of using the mask. Well, I think here, really, in Europe, and I'm just talking about Europe, mask wearing really is associated with COVID, while I think in many areas of Asia, it's also seen as a preventative way to, you know, ensure that you don't get other people sick. 
So yeah. I can imagine. Definitely. And I think we forget, Dan, and I think your point's an important one. COVID is still going on in many areas, in many Asian countries, China for one, is, you know, there's still that, uh, that I don't know if it's a battle, but there's an awareness. There are definitely protocols and procedures. And I think it's interesting to see how your uh, participants saw that as a fresh air, kind of a, yeah. breath, a break from uh maybe the more regular day-to-day mundaneness it was interesting because that was actually one of the things i didn't like about this trip to asia was that like i'd I'd put covid out of my mind living in europe you know it's basically it's almost forgotten about isn't it day-to-day life now i mean people know it's there yeah, there's no talk about. I don't think lockdowns are ever coming back. There's no talk about lockdowns coming back. No I think we're living with it. You know, I think yeah. people come to terms and uh, you know, as, as I'm just can take the point of reference in Switzerland. You know, it, it it's there. Nobody's ignoring it. But I think we're more flexible and more agile on how to deal with it. And also doctors and things. You know, with the vaccination, I think that made a big difference. Yeah, and then so you get to Asia and COVID. You're like, oh right. COVID, you know, it's here again. So I guess that was one thing. Um, I, I think people loved getting together. You know, we ran the event in in, uh, in Busan in South Korea, which was really cool. I don't know if you've been to Busan. I have it's, not, uh, no. it's, you know, it's a tourist resort on the s- southeast, I guess, of, of South Korea. Uh, it's a big, big city, though. I mean, like really grew up booming city. You know, they're trying to host the World Expo at the moment. And it was really nice just to see something different, you know, like to get a lot of people go to Seoul. I've, I've been to Seoul before. But to get down there, um, it's got the great beaches, it's got surfing, you know, just not not what you'd expect from from South Korea. And the International School of Busan's a great school as well, like really, you know, really great leadership team. So that that was nice. And everyone, like everyone said, I wish I told, I wish my colleagues would have come because people people were very reluctant to travel, you know. Like a oh, lot still, of everyone okay. said their colleagues, you know, people the people who came, obviously they came, but they said, look, my colleagues weren't, and you know, they they said they wish they'd convince them to, you know, because it was just everyone really enjoyed getting together again and you know, just you know, doing the sessions together, you know, doing a social event in the evening. It was just, people really liked it. And it was That's the first right. time everyone had done anything in Asia. That that was absolutely the first event people wow. had been to. How was it at Urkos? Because you went to the Urkos, uh, the, uh, the Urkos leadership conference. Was that yeah. also uh, very much uh, protocols with masks and distances? or was That it was a strange one, you know, because obviously a lot of expats there. So they said in the beginning you had to wear a mask, but I, most people didn't know, honestly. Like most people, okay. you know, I, I didn't, I barely wore a mask when I was there. Um, I would have, I would have, if someone asked me to do, I would have, I would have done, you know, but, but no one did. So no, that was pretty good. You know, like I said, we ran the meetup at the British club. That, that was the best part of it for me. You know, we had about 40 people. We had this beautiful, this beautiful old like colonial building. In central Bangkok, we had the upstairs to ourselves, so that that, that was that was really nice. I think Eocos itself was great. Um, it was it was kind of light on the tech sessions. I would say a, a few people said the same. You know, it was a lot of a lot of great leadership topics, but I think not not as many tech sessions as I would have liked. There were, there were a few a few interesting ones, um, but but it was it's a great conference. I think it's um, it's probably the biggest international school conference. I mean, ECIS obviously probably something similar, but I'd say Eocos probably bigger. Yeah, and I think a lot of these conferences, you know, I remember going to ECIS when there are 3,000 people, uh, you know, Nice, Madrid, Seville, wherever it might be, Amsterdam. And now it's definitely a very different, uh, you know, uh, attendance. I think a lot of people are just hungry for online and hybrid. And I think that's something that you have to throw in the mix. 
Have you, I mean, is that something you're noticing with apps events and, and the events, you know, are you doing all face to face next year, 2023? No, never. I'm never going back to that. Like, <laughs> I know I loved running. I loved running, um, face-to-face -face events it was great like we i mean as you know it, it was we were running so many events like you know yeah. almost every week we were running something i i never want to go back to that like i want to do a few big events like a european event an asian event maybe something in the middle east um we're folk we've apps events has completely changed through through the pandemic you know whereas before we were just google pd organization now we're very much um like a, a managed service provider for for international schools using Google, you know, so yeah. we're doing support contracts. We're, we're reselling different software systems that integrates with Google. Uh, we're doing loads of PD, but it's, it's mostly online, you know, we're, we're so, um, and, and, you know, we are running things in person. If anybody wants in person, we'll absolutely do it, but I don't want to go back to, to, to that, that, like, I mean, it, it was great, but it's, it's just exhausting to run that, that number of events, you know, even with a team, you know, I wasn't doing it myself. I wasn't even going to every event. No, no, but, but it, just you know. for you coordinating and the team. I mean, I, in my current professional situation, we're uh, going through a, a, a training with your team. And I think also being online, there's agility. I think people are far more comfortable. You know, they like yeah. the flexibility. I think they've gotten used to the idea of being online. That means I don't have to travel. Uh, I can work within my own schedule. I think yep. even uh, a lot of schools are, you know, very mindful that online has a lot of advantages and even encouraging teachers to look for online options first before going face to face. Yeah, and I, think I think everyone's getting their home. I mean, you and me, I can see you've got a standing desk the same as me. I've got the one that moves up and down. I've got my, I've got my light as I can see you have. People are getting more they, they get their setup ready, you know, to, to do stuff online now. That's we definitely have our a, studios cool. in our in our places. Yeah, and, everyone has a studio. Yeah, yeah, but yeah like, John, good mic and some light. Yeah, exactly. But let's talk about your situation because you've had some big changes going from uh, Luxembourg to Switzerland. Very different role. Do you want to talk about what you know your year and how that came about? Yeah. So, you know, I, I've been an IT director. I was a director of e-learning and then uh, head of education media technology and a deputy principal over the last 18 years, really kind of in, you know, IT leadership and management and absolutely loved it, uh, but I just, you know, I think at some point, and I think COVID really highlighted, you know, it's, it's a time to reflect. And I decided that I really would like to move into a different space. Yeah. I hadn't been teaching in years and uh, just really enjoyed. I was always, whenever in my role that I had as a leadership team member and an IT director, I always made sure I taught a class or two. And yeah. that really was, I suddenly noticed that really fed me and I really enjoyed that. So I'm working uh, at the International School of Geneva and I'm running, uh, it's called the Creation Station, which is a makerspace kind of digital space where, uh, you know, kids and teachers come and we do different projects tied to their units of learning. And then I'm doing a, a lot of digital literacy, digital citizenship with faculty, with students and parents. And, you know, this is something that I really am passionate about and just working with kids has been so amazing. And, you know, you forget just the energy and the way they come into things. And, you know, we've been, we were doing roller coasters, having them uh, explain and show, demonstrate force, yeah. uh, friction and gravity with paper rolls and palates and ping pong balls and duct tape and glue guns, you know, and, and just that agency. And it's amazing sometimes, you know, you'll have 20 kids all working and there's like the silence. It's like a factory hum. And teachers are like, boy, are they engaged? And 
a lot of kids like crafting. They like the ability to say, okay, this is my material. I get to do whatever I want and interpret however I want, and nobody's going to tell me. Yeah. And I think this idea of agency is so important. I think it's for us as adults, too. We don't like being told uh, what we should do, and we like to have that creative freedom. So that's been really good. And just, you know, kind of I'm presenting at a couple conferences and still doing some uh, work with different organizations. But uh, no, it's been really a nice transition. And, you know, it's about reinventing yourself, you know, and kind yeah. of saying, okay, I'm recalibrating. What do I want to do for the next phase? It's kind of the next phase of my professional life. I, I see that myself. I think a lot of people, like COVID has been almost a forced transition, like, you know, into different things, you know. And I, for me, it has, you know, I, I've definitely changed direction forward a bit. But, you know, you know, also, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. Now I'm thinking, what do I, you know, how many more acts have I got left? What do I want to do in the next 10 years? You know, I, I think I'll still be working in 20 years, but, you know, that's probably pushing it, you know, like who, who knows? So I think um, I think a lot of people have reinvented what, what they're doing and, and made changes over over the COVID times. I can't agree with you more. You know, I actually read a book and, you know, I'm one of these people that, you know, people say I read the book and it changed my life. And I, I, I tend not to be in that camp, yeah. but I was uh, introduced to this book called From Strength to Strength yeah. by Arthur C. Brooks. And he talks about these two arcs that you have in your life. And I'm really paraphrasing. Please go and read the book. We'll put it in the show notes. But the way I understood it is you have this arc where the first arc where you're very engaged, you're very, not aggressive, but you you want to be the center of attention, you want to have a voice, you're always bringing ideas to the table, you might not always be the best of listeners, and you're really about moving forward, maybe climbing up the professional ladder or acquiring wealth, whatever it might be. And uh, he uh, talks about the second arc, and he's kind of... Uh, provoked where he's on a plane and this gentleman in front of him is very famous. Anybody who would see him would immediately recognize him. And he overhears him talking to his partner wife that he's been a failure, that what has been the point? I don't know what to do. Yeah. And so he's walking off the plane, the author and this gentleman that's famous, and the pilot stops him and says, I want to thank you. You've been such an immense influence on me. You've changed my life. And what the author talks about is this second arc, where at the end, you know, kind of chasing the, the Joneses or chasing whatever, the power, the fame, the attention, or what might be financial rewards, there is only so much that it fulfills you. And the second arc is more about service, where you're giving, where you're mentoring, you're coaching other people, you're maybe a little more silent, you speak less, but when you speak, it's more poignant, maybe it's more reflective, and it's kind of taking stock and then recalibrating yourself and looking at a new space and a new way of engaging with your life where you're really more about service and giving and coaching others than trying to receive. And so that really kind of sank hard with me. And I'm, yep. as I've told you, Dan, I'm really looking into the space of uh, supporting senior citizens with digital devices, yeah, and no. what, what we can do to help them. So I think, you know, these two arcs, as you said, I think for a lot of people during COVID, it brought up things maybe they hadn't thought about. We had more downtime, maybe we had more time to reflect. Maybe we were stuck in an apartment and we had to kind of look ourselves in the mirror. And I think for many, 
It was a, a, an opportunity to say, hey, what is this all about? Is this really what I want to do? And I think, you know, the book uh, just kind of provoked me to start thinking about that. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to, you know, continuing to work with kids and, and learn from them. And I think, you know, every path in life should have many different roads. And yeah. you know, I always tell people Robert Frost didn't write his first poem till he was 45. So, you know, no, no, I, I, at any age. Well, I mean, people say, you know, obviously 50s when you 40, 60s when you 50, da 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 da. da. It's, it's, actually, it's genuinely true. So many people have told me, you know, that like, um, you know, people are living longer. Hopefully, touch wood, you know, things go well, you know, we would. I think people are. Um, you know, there's, there's a shortage in so many careers, education being one, there's just a shortage of a lot of people, you know, so people are, you know, working longer because they've just got opportunities to, to work yeah. longer, you know, and Absolutely. I think for, for me, one thing I already know about myself is that, you know, I, I don't think I'll retire unless, unless I'm mentally or physically not capable of, of doing it. I think I'll probably ease off at a certain point, but I, I actually like what I do, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I love, I love doing, I love doing, I love hiking, skiing, I love do, playing golf. Um, surfing, I like I like doing all these activities, but I don't need to do that all day, every day. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I like to I, I like working and I like doing this podcast. Like I like um, you know doing organizing things for schools. I, I don't know. I, I want to keep working. I think. Are you the same? Do you think of? Obviously, you're uh, looking at doing your own business, but uh... no, no. I I really want to. I mean, I love what I do. I love education. I you know after a big stint in leadership, now I'm back in the classroom. I think I'm coming with so many new strategies that I've learned throughout the time of managing digital learning coaches. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, I just don't see myself suddenly stopping at 65 and saying, okay, I'm going to cash in on my pension and now I'm going to go for long walks all day. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I would struggle with that. So it's about, I think it's about, you know, finding passions that you really can get into and having them, feed you as you develop and some of them might be professional where you generate an income some might just be voluntary work but i definitely don't see myself stopping to work i would be really i'm not sure how i mean it's not that i'm always working i love i have a lot of you know biking skiing like you i have a lot of different passions that are outside but uh i think it'd just be hard suddenly to say okay i'm disconnected I'm just going to sit in an armchair and read all those books I never got to read. I don't think yeah. that would be me. It's interesting um, because, you know, knowing you for, for like so many years, like you, you've gone through a, an interesting transformation because a few years ago, you were very much thinking, okay, do I get into school leadership? And you were looking into it. You were, you know, you're talking to schools. You had some offers, I, I believe. You know, you were actually thinking of not just IT leadership, but school leadership. So it was, I think if I hadn't have gone down that path, I wouldn't have kind of appreciated what, what I do do, you know? Yeah, I, I think sometimes you have to kind of almost say, okay, let me go and try something else or let me look at something else. And suddenly yeah, yeah. you realize, wow, what I have is actually really good. And, you know, I think... And, and you know, you never know if it's the right decision. You know, I mean, you know, I think every path, every path is good and it takes you somewhere different. You know, you never know for sure what, you know. But um, Dan, I, I'm curious, and I know this is a quick switch, but sure. I really want to hear about Cambodia because that was a really unique opportunity that you had. And maybe you can give us a context about yeah. that, you know, what, what, what was the purpose and what did you notice? What did you learn? So that was a, my favorite part of the Asian trip. So it was on a, it was a trade mission actually organized by the British department of international trade. I managed to get on it 
because we're a member of this, something called the British Educational Suppliers Association. It's like a trade body for educational suppliers. Uh -huh. We just became a member. So I managed to get on that, and it was it was a great experience. Like, we got invited. So it was only three days. We went to a reception with, at the British Ambassador's reception, at uh, the Ambassador's residence, which was, which was kind of very old school, you know, in a beautiful beautiful French colonial building in, in um, near the waterfront. And then we had a big um, a day with a lot of education leaders for, for Cambodia. It was great. We you know, met the Minister of Education. We met a bunch of universities and schools. We met a bunch of, um, there's a few British, you know, uh, international schools open, opening up there now. Really, really interesting things like boarding schools to get Chinese families to send their kids to boarding school in, because they, it's very hard to get into international schools in China. It's a long oh. way to send them to Europe, so a close country. So um, Shrewsbury, which is a big British you know, private school, yeah. setting up a huge international school there just to get Chinese boarding school kids, which is fascinating to me. So the kids are flying in from China and then yep. doing the boarding, and they'll do the IB or the British yep. curriculum. Exactly, a British curriculum, yeah. So, so that was that, and it was interesting. Um, and then there was like a, like a kind of trade show thing. It, it was fascinating. Now, the last time I was in Cambodia was 30 years ago. Wow. Which was, you know, the Khmer, not, no, 30 years? Yeah, 30 years ago. Um, and that's the Khmer Rouge was still in power in, in the north of the country, you know, in, in, in pockets. Um, there were landmines everywhere. It was, a, it was a kind of very edgy place. Anyone who, who was there at the same time will know, you know, every, you know, when you would travel by four-wheel drive, if you wanted to take a pee, they would say, stand on the road. You don't, don't walk into the dirt because it was so heavily landmined, the, the whole country. Wow, was, that's amazing. Yeah, and it were kids with machine guns in the in the in the countryside. It was just it was a really different place. And then and and Phnom Penh was very much a low rise city, you know, old buildings. And now, if you look at just if you just Google like Phnom Penh's uh, skyline, like there's skyscrapers everywhere. I've never seen such a transformation. Like literally, like mini Manhattan in parts of it, just tons of skyscrapers. It's absolute. I've I've never seen a transformation of any country like like Phnom Penh. And who's who's bringing in the money to build these skyscrapers? Is it the local government with joint ventures? It's well, from what I can understand, it's a lot of Chinese investment, okay. mostly mostly Chinese. There's Chinese people everywhere, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, it's not all legitimate business in in Cambodia. There's a lot of illegal logging, illegal you know wildlife things. You've got these things called special economic zones, which are you know, they're kind of fiefdoms, really, you know, and, and there's, I don't know if you've read, there's a, there's a, I've got a really great podcast I can send you about, um, there's a huge problem with, with people trafficking and, and modern day slavery in Cambodia now, but not what you would think of the usual things like, you know, prostitution. It's the guys doing the online scams. Exactly. Online dating scams. And yeah. you have these, this is all in the special economic zones. You have these, one of the casino called King's Romans, a lot of it's there. And then a lot of the towns, and you know, they 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 sort of you know coach of advertisements for you know working a call center to make a lot of money, and then they've got certain targets. You know, they they, they can't leave, tortured in some cases. They're, you know, crazy crazy things. And I heard this time and time again from people. Yeah, there was quite. I read quite a lot about that in uh, some local pay, uh, local like the Guardian and the Monde. Yeah, uh, highlighting that. That's amazing. And I think you know that's an interesting point you bring up, Dan. People think people trafficking usually is associated with uh, the sex industry, but there's a lot of people trafficking that has nothing to do with that, where people are put into factories or into yep. service industries where their passports taken away and then they have huge debts to pay back. Uh, I think it's just so much more complex. And that's just so interesting to hear 
uh, those zones, as you highlighted. And there's a great, if you, a really great book I read recently called the Out, the Outlaw Ocean, and it's, it, I mean, it really, if you want to put you off ever eating fish again, it's like, and it talks about, it's all about the. The ocean globally is just a lawless place generally. Maritime law is very tough to enforce, a lot of things. But it talks a lot about the fishing industry in Asia, specifically Southeast Asia, and, and, and tons of slavery. People from Myanmar, from Laos, and from you know, Bangladesh, these poorer countries, trafficked. And then you know, they get a job on a fishing boat, but they get sold between boats. And you have these kind of mothership boats where you know, they come in, so often they'll spend months that they'll never even be able to get to shore. Um, huge, huge problem of, of um, the fishing industry, you know, this, this sort of slavery system. And, and it's wow. like so common in, in, in Southeast Asia. Were you, when you were visiting Cambodia, were you going to schools or were you working more with org local organizations? What kind of things did you see in the ed tech space? Well, we we're only there for a few days, really. So um, not not much in the ed tech space. We, we met a few startups. You know, there's a few Cambodian guys, uh, guys and girls doing some really interesting startups. Um, but I didn't see much. Honestly, we, we were mostly at this conference and, and meeting a lot of educational leaders. It's, it's funny. It was almost like um, there's a lot of NGOs there still, you know, and I've got I've always got mixed feelings about NGOs. I think they do a lot of good, but I think they can, you know, not always do a lot of good as well. You know, but it, but it was a lot of NGO. You know, you go to these. We had a few social events, like I mentioned in the evening and a lot of NGO people there. And that's still like a huge kind of industry and inverted commas in, in Cambodia, you know. So that was the, the most people I met were, were NGO people, really. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, Dan, uh, so were you touring around the country or were you based out of Phnom Penh? No, just, just, just Phnom Penh, just in Phnom Penh. Okay. So I'd love, I've, I've, been, I've been to Angkor Wat and things in the past, but this, this was just a straight, straight yeah, yeah. You know, work trip. Well, the fact that you had that uh, reflection of back 30 years ago and then came yeah. back in the skyscrapers, you know, I think people sometimes don't have that image of Phnom Penh in Cambodia. I mean, I no. think, you know, many of us are locked in its horrific past history and forget that it's a developing country and there's a lot of innovation and creativity going now, on. I, I think it's got everyone, everyone is saying the potential is massive there because a few reasons. Um, it's got the most stable currency in Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, oh, the currency is pegged to the US dollar. It's got the most business friendly um, environment, very easy to set up a business. I mean, there's, there's Tesla dealerships in Phnom Penh. The, most of the taxes are hybrids. Like it's, it's really <laughs> advanced in a lot of things you would never have expected much way ahead of Thailand in, in a lot of ways. And the economy is the fastest growing economy in Southeast Asia. So I think if you add all these things together, um, it's got huge potential. I mean, I think it's. Do you and, see and, that in the people in the streets? So 30 years ago, obviously it was far more, uh, poorer and maybe yeah. less developed and now do you see that there's a growing middle class when you're in oh the yeah ab absolutely you know like you know you, you when when i was i mean the, the the riverfront you know is, is i don't know if you have you been to phnom penh i have not been no. to Cambodia. there's a riverfront it's great it's a lot of old buildings all french you know colonial buildings there's the foreign correspondence club which is which is fantastic and, you know you, you when you went back there you know 30 years ago it was just foreigners in, in these bars you know but now you know there's a lot of nice bars restaurants so it's all locals there now, you know, and that that was definitely a change. You know, it was it was obviously a, a growing middle class there. Amazing! Oh, how interesting, Dan. Twenty twenty three. What is Apps Events? Kind of how are you positioning yourself? What is the crystal ball of Apps Events thinking for twenty twenty three? I'm just curious. I, I mean, for us, it's just more of the same. You know, I mean, I, I've I've gone back to my roots, like I was saying. My background's in IT, and now we're doing much more tech tech stuff, which I love. You know. 
lot of text. What we do, do text like stuff. Maybe unpack that a bit. So we yeah. So for example, we're doing a lot of audits. We developed an audit with Google, a Google security audit, where we go into someone's. It, it's it's a quite comprehensive. It takes a week, and we really look at every aspect of Google. Their sharing of documents, or security features, or whatever. And then we make recommendations. And then with a lot of schools now, we've got five schools where we have ongoing agreements where every two weeks we do a two-hour call. We train their Google admins on an ongoing basis. And then we also have a private group, so we, we support them. So we actually do technical support ongoing. So we keep all their staff up to speed. So that's kind of a big thing we're doing as well, you know. And and that's I'm really enjoying that, you know. that, that I've got... Um, you know, we're still doing the PD. That's a big, you know, we're still a Google PD partner. It's a big part of what we do, but you know, getting more of a tech stuff, you know, and, and for me, it's great. I need, I need to get a different challenge. And um, that's what I'm, I'm focusing on energy on. You know, like I say, the PD, um, we're still doing it and the other guys are running that, but I'm, I'm definitely personally focused on the, on the techie stuff now. And do you think people, because, you know, Google uh, workspace and education has become so prominent around the world. Do you feel that a lot of schools maybe are challenged sometimes managing that aspect, the security, kind of the more granular aspects? I think the big schools, definitely. The big schools have problems. You know, I think if, you, if you're a small school, you know, it's pretty, you can do it pretty easily. I don't, I don't think you need much help, you know. I tell people, you know, you probably don't need that help in a lot of cases, but I think big schools. What, you know, that's where, interesting. What is it about big schools that need more help than small schools? Because I would, I actually, I would think that a small school might not have the skill set, you know. That, well, that, that, yeah, exactly. You're right. That can be a problem. But I mean, there's just a lot of work to, you know, you, you've got more, you've got more people to think about, more students capable of doing you know mischievous things more more gaps in more you know you, you're more of a target for you're more of a target for hackers as you know if you're a bit the bigger organization you are yeah. you know there's um it, it's fascinating actually i was i, I wasn't in the school but uh, i was i was meeting a tech director from a school in seoul and they they paid what, what's the organization um no before is i think it's no before they do it's a cyber security cyber security service for schools okay. and they were doing a, a a pen test, actually a penetration test and, a, and phishing as we were there. And it was something as simple as they just sent an email to all the staff. Uh, it looked like a Google password reset. And then the, the, the tech director I was out for a beer with, it was tracking on his phone real time of how many teachers uh, and how many staff members had opened the link and then how many had given their full Google logon and password. Wow. And at the time I was with him in the pub, uh, and this is a this is a famous school, you know, school you will know with, you know, about 20, I think it was about 20% had, had clicked on the link and uh, somewhere between 5 and 10% had, had given all their Google password information, you know? I, I think, you know, actually that, that's a kind of an amazing uh, story, but yeah. I think we underestimate how digital security and very much at the social engineering level, you know, yeah. phishing, spear phishing and phishing, actually, I think so many people are not adept at that. And I think organizations and schools, yeah. it's something that sometimes they struggle with. And I think, you know, it's amazing how destructive that can be. Yeah. Uh, and I think just the awareness and uh, providing the professional development and the PD and also ensuring that your leadership team and your IT team have the skill set. 
That's wow. That's amazing. So you, you're finding big schools because of the complexity of doing this large scale. I, I think so. I think yeah. There's a lot of complexity. I think that, that big schools have a lot more systems that that are integrating with Google. You know, they have you know, and I think um, they generally have bigger tech teams as well. You know, you'll you'll have yeah. more Google admins. So you need, I think, you know, schools want continuity. You know, they want to know that there's knowledge centrally. Everyone's trained up to a, to a certain level. If someone leaves, the next person can get trained up. Um, as you know, I mean, plenty of schools, I mean, I, I was, I was at a school in South Korea, actually fairly big school and, and someone had a full teaching load and he was also the Google admin, you know, that was wow. just an hour. It was, yeah. and it was over a thousand kids in the school. And I was like, wow, that's like, you know, I, I, I think that's an interest. You know what? There are so many people out in the, in the world of international schools in the IT field, tech directors, tech coordinators that teach part-time or full-time and manage that. That's an amazing workload. And it's, and I think yeah. because of the complexity and the challenges of the whole security, digital security and, and, you know, GDPR and name it, it's amazing. I just have so much admiration for people that are juggling that. And you're thinking, how do you manage that must just, you know, that's a lot to be able to digest and run a day-to-day. -day. And that, that's, that's actually another interesting observation from Asia. So when you were in Asia, and actually even pre-COVID, privacy and, and, and the laws around privacy, were there was almost nothing in Asia and the Middle East. It was very, you know, or if there were laws, international schools were ignoring them. But now every country I went to has implemented a version of GDPR. They've all got their local GDPR version. And a lot of it's based on GDPR, but it's incredibly complex. And, and every, it's time and time again, every school is... It's, it's a big part. It's a big hustle. It's a big part of their job. They're all having to be compliant with the local, the Thai GDPR, the Korean one. And that was something that like, if you, I'm sure you agree, pre-COVID, a lot of parts of the world, international schools were just like, we don't oh, have to answer to anyone. Technically there was a law, but no one really cared about it. You know? Yeah. I think GDPR was really for many schools. The first time they said, Oh, we need better to see, Oh, our data is everywhere. We have 10 different databases that yeah. don't talk to each other. I think that, Definitely GDPR in the European. I remember when you were in Luxembourg, you took it very seriously. You were very I much, was. you were like hardcore in the GDPR. Yeah. I was. I took it very seriously. And there was a whole group of IT directors uh, that, you know, really took it on. And then, of course, nine in the UK uh, were helping yep. schools and there were a lot of conferences. But I think through the process, what people realize is they have a lot of procedures and protocols where basically sensitive information was just floating around yeah. and maybe there wasn't anybody taking it, but the capacity and the vulnerability that people were setting themselves up for was quite astounding. I think we've come a long way, but I still think the digital security, you know, is still one of the top things that I think a lot of people are looking for further professional development. Yeah, Definitely. And like, yeah, exactly. You mentioned nine. I, I met the CEO of nine out in, uh, in Thailand. I met him in Thailand wow. and I met him in Singapore actually. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in touch with him now. And, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think the companies know before, I think it's Kevin Mitnick's company, you know, the, the hacker guy, they're doing a lot of stuff with international schools. They do this, a lot of training, uh, and, and also some, you know, packages where they'll do, they'll do phishing, ex phishing exploits and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that the whole security thing, I mean, for me, the digital security, but the other one is this chat GPT three, which is so interesting. And, uh, I, I have the privilege of being part of, a uh, AI and education, Greg Clinton, who's the IT director at the American school in, uh, 
New Delhi has been running this group and just some of the conversations is, you know, and I think usually there's a reaction of like, oh my God, fear, and then a word become redundant. And I think it's quite the opposite. It's about how do we reconfigure the way we teach, including AI as part of that narrative. It's this cohabitation. Yeah. I think the cohabitation is where people need to kind of move to and say, okay, it's here. How do we still have a value-added proposition being an educator and being in front of kids when we have these AIs? How do you live with them? How do you make them part of your narrative? How do you make them part of your toolkit? I think that's where people have to move. It, it is definitely, but I think, and yes, you're right. And I think you know people like us will find a way around it. But I think there's a lot of jobs that are that are going forever. You know, tons of call centers, support roles, general admin. There's just, um, I think it's going to be like when the industrial revolution came along and, and you know, who needs horse drivers anymore? Who needs, yeah. you know, a, a million jobs, you know? So yeah. I think, um, I think it's going to be transformative in terms of, and, and, and tough time for a lot of people, I think. I, I can agree with you more. I think also educators have to, uh, you know, for me as a kind of a caution, be careful just saying, oh, now we're redundant. No, you have to reinvent no, no. yourself, you know? Exactly. What is it that you bring to the table that AI doesn't? And I think that requires introspection, maybe looking at the things that a teacher does that AI can't. You know, this J chat GPT-3, there's a podcast floating out about this uh, high school teacher that put in essays, and he was just saying he has to teach essay writing very differently. And I think it's just being mindful that this is an opportunity, an invitation to say, okay, We've got this disruption. How do we deal with it? And we, I think, Dan, both of you and I, over our time together, have seen many different disruptions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you started Google Apps, it was Google Apps for Education. Very few schools were doing it. Now Almost it's like known, Microsoft yeah. or Google. I mean, there's not yeah. a school that's not doing one or the other. Yeah, and and you know, Chat GPT has got the potential to massively disrupt disrupt Google. I mean, Google's working on an AI solution, but they've you know, this, you know, this has got the potential to, to undermine Google's search engine, you know, I mean, it, it, it could be huge. I mean, Google's definitely got a lot to do to, to, to keep up with us, I think. That's interesting. What was really interesting is I didn't realize it's not connected to the internet. So basically, it's just been given all these data sets. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's, it's because once I actually put in a question asking about a certain American politician, would he be reelected for 2024? And it wrote back and said, sorry, I can't answer that because I only have information to 2021. Right. That's interesting. Um, yeah. But I mean, can you think of, an, of, a, of a tech, anything tech-wise that people have talked about this much since it was released? I think the Google search engine when it came out. So, yeah, you're right. That's probably the case. Yeah, true. But it I was mean, the same thing at the time. If you remember, me, there was there was Lycos and Hotbot and and a lot of different ones, you know. Oh, Alta Vista, Dogpile. Yeah. I mean, yeah, who all of them disappeared. I mean, you know, think of Netscape. Yeah, exactly. Even Netscape. Yahoo. You know, I mean, I still have a Yahoo email, but I'm thinking, I don't really. I mean, is Yahoo even? You know, th those are the things. Those transitions where companies are. You know, Kodak is a great example. I think. I definitely think something like ChatGPT, you know, I think Siri is another interesting uh, AI. And of course, the Google Home, the Amazon Echo, yeah. all those things, you know, they're, they're, they're interesting because they disrupt what we think we are kind of masters of.
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and remember, this is just a beta version 1.0, you know, and it hasn't even been widely released. But most people don't haven't have never used it, you know. This no, chat no. GPT stuff. Well, my wife and I were on it the other day. We were looking to get report cards written. We thought if we give certain profiles of a student where they're struggling, where they need to improve, and just kind of, you know, keywords, it generated a report card. And that was just, you know, like, oh, my God. You know, or I even had it do a lesson on fractions for nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds really? asked it to do it in French with a multiple-choice a test and a grading scale. Wow. And and people are, it's writing code. People are saying, write me a program in Python to do this, you know? That's interesting because I think, you know, uh, if you go to the open AI part, you can see that it does images, coding. There are just a few other engines, which yeah. I think are just fascinating. No, absolutely. Dan, I was curious, are we at our hundredth podcast yet? I don't know. It's a good point. We might be, you know what we, you know, we should start doing actually, we should start putting numbers on a lot of people do that. They have episode. Let, let's, if you agree, let's start doing that episode three, four, five. Cause then the good, the best thing about that is I've noticed people saying you can refer to another episode. So if we want to talk to say, you know, Arnie Bieber episode, we can say, check out episode, you know, 36 or whatever. Yeah. I'll get Jane to, to back number them as well. And we can, we can have them all numbered. And that'd be great to back number them. Yeah. I remember maybe a month ago, I counted, I was somewhere at 85 or 87 since you and I started, but of course you've been doing this for much longer. Yeah. Well, obviously that's the other thing. I'm so glad you got involved. It's a completely different podcast now. So I think, uh, well, thank you know, you, and we're getting, I mean, we've had a couple of a couple of episodes go viral, and I've no idea where from. Isn't that but, funny how some things go viral and others yeah, don't? I know, but really viral. Like the interview with Chip was, just, we had tens of thousands of downloads, and I can't work out where it was from. Maybe it was a bot or something. Yeah, I was thinking that, but like I don't know, you know what? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I must say that uh, it's been fascinating talking to people. And one thing that I want to give credit to all our guests, they're always so open to spending time and sharing. And we've had all kinds of different people. And, yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, when we write to guests, they're always like, oh, yeah, I would love to. And some guests are like, let's come back. And uh, I, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of value. It was interesting. One guest, uh, Kevin and Amy, who've done a lot of podcasts said they, we were the first podcast that didn't give them a list of questions that we basically said, yeah, we're going to kind of talk about this. And then we go off and it kind of goes everywhere. But what yeah, do you but... think then? Because I, I know you listen to a lot of podcasts and, and this is something that I think you do so well is a kind of just have it very organic and open. You're, you're not too much into structure unless I'm misunderstanding. No, you're right. Well, it, you, you've, You've done it. I I had not I, I was I had not enough structure. You you've you've added in a reasonable amount. I mean, you're very good. You send a you know you send a bio doc. You know you you create a bio doc for every uh, guest. They fill in the bio. You know you we talk about you know we let them know what we want to talk about. I did I did nothing, and it was crazy. People would people were turning up to me and they were like, "What do we? What is this podcast? What are we talking about?" And I'd be like, "I don't know," you know. And um, but you know. If you look at, I think, I think you know the Joe Rogan show. If you know Joe Rogan, he's probably the biggest yes. podcast in the world. I think I think he is definitely the biggest podcast yeah, in the world. Quite controversial yeah. to say the least. Yeah, he is, but but uh, it's some great. I mean, you know, he gets amazing guests. Like you know, he gets yeah. everybody. Um, yeah. You know, he gets Zuckerberg's. He gets presidents. You know, he gets 
you know, all the, all the, everyone famous, but um, he doesn't prepare anything. He just freestyles everything. No preparation. Um, doesn't give him any questions in advance, you know, and, and he, and he goes, his typical podcast, he'll go for like three hours, just, that's you know, just chatting. And, and that's, what's interesting about podcasting. Cause you consume in a different way. You know, you don't watch, watch it like you watch a TV show for half an hour or an hour. You know, you just, well, even that's changing with Netflix and binge watching. That's a different story, but you know, you listen to a podcast when you're driving or running or walking and you listen to a part of it and then you listen to another part of it. You know, yeah, the next absolutely. one. Like, no, no, that you know, thing. And, and it's interesting because I have reached out to quite a few people and the answer is, oh, it's going to cost you X thousands of dollars. And, and I, I, I just, I don't know. I just feel that, you know, if we can't have a conversation in this context without a, an exchange of money, I sometimes struggle with that. What, what do you mean, John? You mean, you mean, I was, you mean we've asked people to come on as guests and they've asked for money? Well, no, I've just asked somebody, would you be a podcast guest? And then they say, oh, you need to talk to my agent or you need to talk. Oh, to really? Me. Oh, I didn't really, I know. Yeah. That. I mean, yeah, yeah. that would be a big red flag for me. I'd be like, oh, you don't understand what this podcast thing's about, you know? Exactly. And I think, you know, what I want to give credit is to every single guest we've had. They've come voluntarily. They've shared. They've opened their heart. They have given so much wisdom and advice. I always walk away like, wow, I learned something new. And I think very likely it's the same for you. Definitely. A hundred percent. And, you know, but it, it's a two way street because we get, you know, we'll, we will give them a profile raising something. Some it'll be when people Google a name, it's, it's going to come up. Some people will listen to it who might, you know, we've had, um, who, were, uh, I, I won't, I won't name who it was, but, uh, a, a lady who was on a podcast got a job through, um, someone who listened to the podcast, reached out to her on LinkedIn and she got a job through it. That's right. That's right. So if you're looking for a job, be a podcast guest <laughs> with us. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's a two-way street. Everything in life has got to benefit both parties if it's going to be successful, yeah. you know? One thing I want to, you know, I think people don't realize one thing that I really enjoy about our collaboration, it's very agile and it's very loose. You know, Dan sometimes yeah. is not available. Sometimes I'm not. We do need to give credit to your team, uh, Jane from Apps Events, that does a phenomenal job, yep. and uh, the engineers. You know, there are X, people yeah, behind X. the scenes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Please well, look, name them, Dan, because I think yeah, no, well, Jane, uh, Jane obviously is is the main person, and then we have X. Uh, that's that's how we, what it goes by. Just X. <laughs> His name really is Jericho, but he uh, he does the the editing uh, and all the graphics and stuff as well. So yeah, thanks to X. And then Gwen also uh, reshares yeah. out social media. So between yeah, you know, Gwen exactly. Gwen does a lot of. I mean, Gwen's living in the Netherlands now. I don't know if you know. I know she's uh, oh, I didn't realize she's in the yeah. Netherlands. Oh, that's very Philippines. Cool. Yeah. So um, anyway, no. but, and, and also Dan, you know, thank you because you started this. You know, why did you suddenly start this? What was it? You know, did, because you were doing a thing on entrepreneurs, which yeah, I, I, I talked I to. I mean, I'm just an idiot, really. I started two podcasts at the same time. I don't know what I was thinking. One about entrepreneurship and, and then this one. I had no goal for either, and uh, and which was, again, more stupid. So I don't know. You know, I just – I didn't really have a plan. I, I, I like I, – I, I listen to loads of podcasts. I'm just like all, all day I'm listening to podcasts. Um, I just thought I'd like to do a podcast. And actually, interestingly, you know, I actually closed down the other podcast this year after a conversation with you and some other people. I, I've, I've left all the episodes up. You know, I've gone to the minimum hosting plans. I, people can access the episodes. But um, I just got to the point of like, I really like this podcast I'm doing with you. 
think the other one talking about entrepreneurship well originally it was about events you know it was about you know running events and and, more, and i was just like i just bored of talking about it i was literally just and i i, I recorded a final solo episode over a beer and i was just honest i said look you know I'm just bored of talking about this. And so I've got to stop. It's going to end. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and, you know, and I said, you know, th I thanked everyone for coming. And I, and I also said, if anybody wants to take over this podcast, I'll happily hand it over to them. You know, if somebody wants to keep talking about this stuff, it's got a lot of, you know, people listening to it and stuff. But, you know, I think you mentioned this earlier, I think, like, you've got to sometimes move on in life and draw a line on things. And you've got to, you've got to like, you don't have to keep doing everything forever. Like this podcast, I, I put a lot of effort into it. I recorded a few hundred episodes. And I, I think at the end of the day this year, I was like, sorry, if that's it. I'm finished. You know? Yeah. That's it. yeah. It's and, and I think, you know, that's an important uh, awareness to say, listen, I had a good run. Now I can step back. And yeah. I think that's, yeah. And, you know, international schools podcast so you really when you started this you thought i want to get into this space i want to highlight the world of international schools yeah i just thought it'd be a great way to meet actually i think i think thinking back it was probably just a good way to meet people as well you know yeah because it's a great you know that we can have a chat um i, I had no agenda i mean i didn't even promote i didn't promote apps events for probably 100 episodes i didn't do anything to i should have done probably but it was you know there was i just liked podcasting you know, I wanted to learn more about the international school world. I wanted to meet new people. That was the reason, really. Yeah. Reasons. Yeah. No, excellent. Well, Dan, it's been uh, great. great. Yeah. Up. Boy, it's been a while. And uh, great, great to talk. Yeah. And uh, to our audience, thank you for your support. I mean, it's just been wonderful. A lot of people retweet, repost, or write to Dan or me through messages and LinkedIn. And I would say that LinkedIn maybe is the best space to reach out to us. What do you think, Dan? If you want Definitely. To I'm, I'm a LinkedIn person much more. Um, I'm still on Twitter, but, you know, it's more and more I'm just reposting stuff from LinkedIn on, on Twitter. So, what you know, what would be great for us if you like an episode, please just reshare the post on LinkedIn, like it and reshare it. It gets it. That, the resharing is really the key thing. It, you know, it gets to spread much, much more, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for if you want to reach out to Dan and I just use LinkedIn and would be happy to chat. And uh, we've got a whole host of guests lined up and a lot of good conversations. And uh, but it's going to be a good year, 2023. So to everybody out there that, uh, make, you know, is so kind to download our podcast and spend the hour listening to Dan and I, thank you. And we wish you positive thoughts for the year ahead. Thanks very much. John, one, just one thing to finish. I think I told you this story, but I was at um, Bet Asia in Bangkok and I was just walking to their coffee place and I just got talking to a woman who worked for Adobe. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story. And she said, your voice sounds really familiar. Like, I've, have we met before? And I'm like, I don't think we've met before. She's like, you, you host a podcast, don't you? And I was like, wow, I've been recognized for my voice. And it was just, just a woman That's I was just talking great. to. I know pretty cool because usually in the image kind of world and that multimedia world that we live in it's always about pictures and yeah. you know, social media posts but that she recognized your voice that's awesome that's awesome it was fantastic john thanks happy merry christmas happy new year and uh let's talk again in 2023 look forward to it thank you